0: I'm, I'm going to just uh, share with you a thought right quick. May I do that? Yes. Uh, we are so honored to be here with you. But I'm just so impacted by the praise and worship, the time that we had in the presence of God. And I just really felt stirred in my heart to look with you at Lamentations 3. Oh, okay. you, know, you know this scripture, don't you? The psalmist, not the psalmist, but (laughs) yes, yeah, 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 the griever is writing, and he says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed this, and this I call to mind. Let me read it to you, okay? Can can we pull it? Uh, No, we can't pull it up, can we? Well, this is good. I got it here. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. He's talking about the circumstances of his life. He's remembering his trouble, his affliction, the things that he's facing in his life. And he calls something to mind that brings him a place of life and encouragement. And I couldn't help but notice this morning how, how the things that we were rehearsing in our worship remind us that God is faithful. So sometimes when we're in the midst of our our circumstances we are so aware of the circumstances that we forget that God is a God who's faithful and so the the, the, the verse here says I call this to mind the steadfast love is my ESV never ceases and that I love this word because it's a it's a Hebrew word that expresses the covenant loyalty of God it's his faithfulness some translations say loving kindness some say mercies some say steadfast love but the idea is hased it's the hebrew word hased and we have no english word that adequately describes the all encompassing work and nature of god that he carries towards his people and so no matter what circumstance you're in god is faithful to meet you with you can come into a place of alignment with him and that was the thing that I kept hearing by the spirit of God this morning our place of agreement with him is so paramount to him meeting us he comes and he meets us with his faithfulness because he cannot change his character and nature so what he's looking for is for you and I to change our perception and come into agreement with him and as we stand in his presence all of his power all of his ability all of his majesty all of his glory is being displayed and as we come into that place of agreement with him and say yes Lord you're right I'm wrong (laughs) you're strong I'm weak you're the one that I have need of I can't do this without you his grace and his power and his mercy meets us in that place of need lifts us up and causes us to stand in a place of strength because his grace abounds. So today may I encourage you to never, ever, never, ever lose sight of God's faithfulness to you. He's not a man that he should lie. When he has decreed a thing, all we have to do is come into alignment with what he has decreed, speak it out of our mouth, and God's grace will rest upon us in a new way. So you be encouraged today to continue to stand your ground whatever you're facing don't allow the enemy to move you because it's all about being able to be he's faithful can I be faithful to him (laughs) amen So, Father, I thank you today for this great word, faithfulness. I thank you, Father, for this great covenant that you've established with us from the old to the new that rests upon the very blood of Jesus. Father, I thank you that as you work in these people's hearts and minds today, you are increasing wisdom and understanding, revelation in the character and nature that you hold and and the love and the mercies that you pour out to each and every one. Father, thank you for continuing your great faithfulness, to your people this day, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen.
1: Amen. 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 That that was a good word. That was a very good word. We have, uh, in our own world, been going through the book of Psalms in in church, but we've been going through the book of Psalms privately, and that wonderful word, I may have said this before, but that wonderful word shows up almost half the time it's in the Bible in the book of Psalms. You can't understand Psalms without understanding what has said is. And the wonderful thing that, that that roots it is the truth that he's not he's not loyal to you; he's loyal to himself. And because he's loyal to himself, he's therefore able to be loyal to you. You get the fruit of it. We sang that wonderful song, and I can't I can't go back to the refrain again. But it was talking about his steadfast love, his steadfast what was the word? No. Uh, oh talked about his covenant talked about used one of the words that Gene mentioned about steadfast love about his said in the scripture and it said and I will stand steadfast because it is a mutual relationship and we we struggle so much sometimes trying to figure out what God's part is what our part is but those storms will come those obstacles will be there all sorts of opportunities to wrestle your faith out of your heart out of your mind, and out of your life. And if you start off knowing who he is, I loved it that she opened with the verse there, I will call to mind is not something you just accidentally recalled. I will call to mind is a choice to think upon this and to think upon this instead. We in our future are all going to be recipients of that wonderful, steadfast love, the mercy of the Lord that endures forever. But we're going to have ever-increasing opportunities in our world to make choices about what we believe, to make choices about who we believe. And ultimately, you have to have the capacity to have confidence in your own heart, in your own life, but in the Spirit of God that dwells on the inside of you to lead you into truth. It's a different world that we live in. It's changed, and it's going to change again. And the only prevention, the only way to not get swerved off the pathway of faith and hope and love in Christ Jesus is to have a very real and intimate relationship with the Lord. And this is as it's always been. Christianity hasn't changed one bit since day one. Churchianity changes every day. That part of our culture that we sometimes, without even speaking, use to express our faith and what we really believe. the 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 trouble is, is we struggle and stumble over that part of it. We never really struggle over the God side of it. It's what things look like that disturb us and get us off track and cause us to stumble a bit. So I've got a word in my heart, in my mind. I've never spoken it to anybody other than to myself. I may have mentioned it one time in a conversation to Gene. It is about your future, not about your prophetic future, not about your personal future, but about the future of the church, about what the world's got to look like, and who you've got to be in this process to live it through, to walk it through, and to have a sense of victory. Because there's going to be a great shaking. Everybody felt about the last two years differently. There were some predictable responses, but they felt differently. And I think in the large sense of it, it should have just been something that will let us see into our own hearts and where our own confidence was. What our values were, what, what it was that we actually believed, for that matter, who we trusted. Whether we trusted ourselves, whether we trusted other voices, whether we trusted this will, this will sound like a terrible thing to say, but it comes to me to say it. I don't trust anybody's spiritual judgment any more than I trust my own. I don't really trust it as much as I trust my own, and it's not because I think I know everything. It's not because I think I'm the only voice. It's not because I think I'm the smartest guy in the room. I don't do any of those things. It's because to have any sense of integrity, you have to believe In yourself spiritually. You hear, you learn, you gather, but you also have to have the capacity to say, wait a minute, we're going to shape this a little bit differently and put this in a different perspective. I'm not going to just accept something just because someone said it. I'm going to, I, I have the spirit of truth living on the inside of me. And I'm going to measure everything by that spirit of truth. And where I need to adjust and grow and change, may he lead me on. At the end of the day, if you do what I tell you to do, but you were never really convicted it was true, you stumble and you blame me, you blame God, you blame everybody usually but yourself. And the truth is is that that's your sovereign right. That's your sovereign obligation to, to hear something and then take the book and weigh it out and pray it through and find the place of peace so you know how to go ahead because churchianity, the, the, the picture of church, how we conduct ourselves is changing. It has changed. It will never go back and be exactly the same. And that's probably a good thing. Things need to march along. They need to move along. But what never changes are those eternal truths that you built your life off of that God is working to build your heart into. And I would dare say that the part about him expressing his steadfast mercy to you requires you to remain steadfast, no matter about the winds of doctrine, the winds of change, the winds of circumstance that blow on your soul, that blow on your life and try and move you. You, you have to be a good sailor in this matter and stand on the deck no matter how the ship moves. You can keep your own spiritual life and your corporate life moving forward. Father, let us only, let us always, let us all say what your truth is, grant wisdom, grant utterance, Grant understanding, teach us, and cause things that are said and done even this morning to bring honor and glory and praise to your name that we might be made better for the future you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. We both really like to praise and worship, can you tell? I don't know if I showed you guys this the last time I was here. I bring this with me just about everywhere I go. This is my this is my prayer. New Testament. Can you tell it's been beaten up? What's really sad about that is I've got four that are virtually brand new at home. But this is this is the one I dared write in. This is uh, uh, it's not the only translation I have. It's not meant to replace the one I normally use. But uh, I hope you've long since figured out that uh, that there's more than one way to understand what the scripture says, and that you have to if if God's smarter than me. And God's smarter than you, then God's smarter than all of us, and God's smarter than all of us put together, and that he's got the ability to say things through the word that even the writers not might have intended when it was said. Now, you have to be wise, but you have to know that this is the eternal living word of God and that you have to handle it like it is. The matters compounded because, of course, when the scriptures were written, they weren't written with punctuation and capital letters and such. And so the interpreters come along and say, I think this is a good place to put a stop. This thought's finished right here. When in reality, sometimes you'd be amazed if you took, you'd probably be amazed if you realized how seriously you took the punctuation in your Bible you probably don't think you notice it. You probably don't think it's there, but you stop with a thought and go on to the next one every time you see a capital letter to a period. Well, sometimes it's as simple as saying, wait a minute, maybe that second thought follows on to that first thought. Maybe all those thoughts really go together, and you'll pick up your Bible and you say, Jesus, I've been reading my Bible for 35 years, and I've never had that thought. I must not be thinking very hard about this. So I've got this one. This is this is uh, the Hudson translation of the Pauline epistles. It's old, so it's uh, it's uh, written in a day that they took things like scholarship seriously. I guess some places they still do, but this is a this is a serious Bible. It's a good Bible, and it's uh, it's one I use. I've got my prayers written out in the margin or at least got thoughts for the prayer. So that's, that's why I carry it with me. But today, if I can do it without you thinking that I'm starting a cult or something, I'm going, to, I'm going to use this translation. I won't read anything that you don't think is any different from your own Bible, except for maybe some different word usages. So open yours to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read three portions of scriptures. We're going to read the last. Probably the last third of chapter five, last half of chapter five, we're going to read four or five verses in Second Thessalonians chapter one, and then if we haven't gone too far afield, we'll read a couple of verses in 2 Timothy. First Thessalonians is generally understood to have been the first the first Bible, the first letter that Paul wrote. Sometimes Galatians is put in front of it, but this is this either way, no matter how you slice it, the two letters to Thessalonians were written in the beginning of his ministry. 2 Timothy chapter Second Timothy itself was written at the end of his ministry. And he says, he says a connecting thought in both books, all three of these books, but in both time frames, that's simply this. Uh, make sure you have the Holy Spirit involved in your believing. He says here, he says in this portion of scripture, uh just don't quench the spirit. That's where we're going to camp this morning. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, fan to, the, uh, fan to a flame the gift that's on the inside of you. And, of course, the question, the question begs, why would you have to tell somebody to keep fanning to a flame the Holy Spirit on the inside of them? Why would you have to, why would you have to tell somebody, don't forget to do this? And in a simple form, a lot of it's because uh, uh, there's, there's always a force in the world and it's in the church trying to eradicate the sense of the supernatural work of God in your life individually and corporately. Uh, some of us are extreme, so we do, do, we th- we do things like prophesy and, and run around the room and swing from the chandeliers, and we, we put that off as the Holy Spirit, and oftentimes it is. Others of us think you don't have to have that demonstration, so we're just going to be quiet, we're going to sit, we're going to watch, and we're going to learn and let the Spirit of God do with the work on the inside. The book of Acts shows that there was a work on the inside, there was a work on the outside. God wants to work on the inside of you, God wants to work on the outside of you. All along you have to remain steadfast in this conflict and you have to keep moving forward. So, so there's, no, there's no one place spiritually where you can just settle down and say, okay, I know everything, I'm doing everything, we're just going to keep doing church like we've always done church. I'm going to keep practicing my personal faith like I've always practiced my personal faith. That leads to disappointment and to grief. You always have to be poked, It's best if you let the Lord poke you himself. You'll never really understand everything there is to understand about God here. You can't. You'll never know everything you need to know. You'll always have to be spiritually enlarged and strengthened and moved ahead, and it never becomes any more comfortable than it was on the first day you got born again. So... With that in mind, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, out of the Hudson translation here, he says in the last uh, clause of verse 13, the last couple of words says, be at peace, be at peace among yourselves. That's not be at peace in yourself, that's be at peace in the group. So evidently being at peace in the group is a big enough point to make it needs to be made to the church at large. Get along with each other. Pastor John mentioned when he stood up earlier how wonderful it was to be able to worship together, not just do what you were created to do by yourself at home, but to worship together. It's that together that allows the demonstration of who God is for the world to see through our love that he really is the author of all of this. So be at peace among yourself is evidently not something that just happens by itself or you wouldn't have to mention it. He mentioned it because you have to make a choice to be at peace among yourself. And the opposite of being at peace among yourself is being full of discord or division or your own particular truth that you're trying to walk through. Be at peace among yourself. And we beseech you, which is a strong word, brothers, discipline those who do not work. Encourage the faint-hearted, support the weak, be patient with all. That's not the same thing as being patient with the faint-hearted or supporting the ones that won't work. There's, you've got to put those words where they go. See that no one ever returns evil for evil. See to it. But always make the good of one another and of all men your object. Always rejoice. Now your Bible might have always to rejoice, period. Pray unceasingly, period. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We've camped on the thought, and this is good. And If I could just do this, I'd be happy as a Christian to give thanks in all circumstances. But the truth is, I'm not going to be thankful if I don't have prayer, and I'm not going to have prayer if I'm not always rejoicing Mm -hmm. because I won't pray because I'll think I can solve my own problems. So the part that's the will of God for you in Christ Jesus is probably always rejoice, comma, pray unceasingly or pray without giving up. It doesn't mean pray every second of your life. It means don't ever lay your faith down. And when the moment arises again to pick it back up, to pick a situation back up, Pastor John said, you know why prayer sometimes doesn't work? It's because we say we'll pray and we don't. Oftentimes, in my life, this is a delicious temptation for me, in my life is to start off praying for something, but then when it doesn't change in 24 days, to give up on it, to think that I've prayed enough on it. So there's that potential of pray unceasingly means when you say you're going to pray, you're not just saying I'm going to pray about But you're going to say, I'm praying with until this is all accomplished or until there's another level of it exposed to go a different direction. So you're going to have to learn to pray. I'm going to have to learn to pray in the future in a way that goes beyond just offering up a momentary, culturally trained, light expression of what prayer, light expression of what rejoicing is a momentary thanksgiving in my circumstances and then close my book and go back to worrying, calling people, trying to get a solution and looking for other sources in other places because that won't sustain you when the waters get deep. And the waters will one day get deep, whether they get deep for you or whether they get deep for your children or your grandchildren. One day things are going to deepen up and somebody's going to have to read this and act like they think it's all really true, that it means exactly what it says and that they're going to have to play their part beyond beyond what anybody else in the room might express or require of them. should go without saying that what Paul is expressing is his own spiritual relationship. Paul just didn't like read a book and say, I'm going to stand up and preach this. Paul, through his own disappointments as a man of the law, a man of the word, a man of truth, found out he'd misinterpreted it. So he had this great crisis going on on the inside of him where he had to come to a place of faith in Christ Jesus. That set him on end, retaught him everything about his belief system. When it did, when he comes along and he writes, when he preaches, when he talks, he's not just giving somebody else's sermon. He's not just giving you somebody else's thoughts. He's speaking out of the depths of his heart, pouring truth out that he's lived. And it's the having lived it and especially Having lived it together, that empowers that voice to penetrate into hearts, past minds, and change lives. He's saying, I'm not just telling you some good advice, I'm not telling you to be nice people, I'm giving you truth to live by, and that this truth we're given right here is the will of God in all circumstances. He says, he goes on, the last part of 19, it says, never quench the spirit. Now, darlings, you don't have to tell somebody that that's not tempted to quench the spirit. You don't just have to say it like it's a good idea. I said, okay, church is over by the way. Don't set the building on fire when you leave. You weren't thinking about setting the building on fire until I gave you the idea to set the building on fire. He said, never quench the Spirit. So there must be some sort of very human virtue that we probably all carry to greater or lesser extent that really wants us to live our own life the way we want to live our life without the Spirit's involvement too much except when we want the Spirit to be involved. Pastor John prayed very eloquently, very deeply, very truly about turning over those recesses of our hearts, the shadows, the dark places, the places where we've not ever invited Him in or allowed Him in to change us so we can have fellowship. And the truth is, most of us would pray a prayer like that, I think, and say, okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some more space in the house, but try not to open that closet door. Because I don't want you to see what's in that closet door. We're going to ignore it and we can go sit in the kitchen and have lunch. So, whatever you do, don't cast your eyes around to try and figure out what's on top of the cabinet. Just sit and have lunch and let's talk about the kitchen. He comes in and he wants to change and rearrange the house, but he does it in such a family familiar way where he says, Oh, by the way, let's talk about this. So, all you have to do is open up the rooms and let him come in. He may want to change them, he may not want to change anything. He may wait 20 years to tell you to change something. The point is, is to get him in the house. Get him in the house and just have the conversation. You can negotiate with him on a certain point. Let's just talk about the kitchen for now. (laughs) But he will not ever give up. He knocks if you let him in to the places in your heart and in your life. Never despise prophetic utterances. Now, we're not going to raise hands, but it's pretty easy to despise prophetic utterances when they don't come to pass. We won't take the time to read 2 Timothy. I don't think we'll need to. But 2 Timothy, where Paul told Timothy, he said, fan to a flame, the gift of God that's on the inside of us. I know there was faith in your mother and your grandmother. Fan to a flame, the gift that's on the inside of you. And he said, uh, and make sure that you don't. He comes on in verse 7 and says, therefore, do not be ashamed of me. There's a pressure in the world always trying to make you let that fire go down, let that fire go out. It's always there. It's always there. It's in your flesh. It touches your flesh, touches your mind, tries to convince you so that it's easy to come along and see where prophetic utterances, and and sometimes, sometimes they are, in their own expression, a bit odd. Sometimes there's something that don't seem to have come to pass. It takes a lot of faith to be able to come along and look at the word that was delivered. It'll take maybe a lot of faith for you today, and I hope you exercise it to say, I didn't like everything David said. I didn't agree with everything David said. I don't think David said that all right. But to find something in there That the spirit of truth was trying to lodge into your heart and mind and change your life because I guarantee you there's something there that, that not through any great claim of mine, but there's something there for all of us to have stuck in our heart and to make us think larger, to make us think differently, and to cause us to live in a more surrendered life to Christ. You don't want to go to church where the preacher stands up every week and tells you what you already know, what you already believe, and affirms you. Because why do you not want to? Because you don't have everything you need to have. You don't know everything you need to know. You don't live everything you need to live, and that's a given for each and every one of us. That's true every day of your life for the rest of your life. So you need help. I need help. Help, and I need more help than Pastor John and Tia can give. I need more help than Pastor Bradley can give. I need help more than, I need more help than what I can find on the Internet. I need more help than what I can get from you. I need God's help to do something to tell me to, ask, to at least ask the right questions. Sometimes he says, David, you got the right answer, but you asked the wrong question. So because you got the right answer on the wrong question, you're still wrong. So wait, does that make sense? Did to him. Never despise prophetic utterances, but bring them all to the test. Now, my Bible up there says, don't despise prophetic utterances in some version. makes a period. Then it says, test all things. Well, this is true. This is true. You're supposed to test all things. But the context is to test the prophetic utterances. Huh. Huh. Test the prophetic utterances. There's other places where the scripture says this. In your future, your ears and heart will be subjected to all sorts of prophetic utterances. I do not want to make you despise anybody's prophetic utterance. Never, never despise the man or the voice that brought it. You'll never have to if you take responsibility to weigh it for yourself. You'll never have to if you have enough respect for you and the God that lives on the inside of you and those people whom you know. Paul says over in the second book in the second chapter, I told you these things when I was with you. Those who are with you, those who are with you have the greatest, should have the greatest entrance into your heart and into your life. There's a reason you're here. Whether I understand it, whether you understand it, whether we could even agree, there's a reason we're all here together today that goes beyond what any of us could figure out. There's a reason you live here. You're not, you're not been seconded, put off in a second place because you don't live in another country, in another province, in another state. This is where, for whatever reason, evidently God wanted you to be. So like the rest of us, we all just have to bloom where we're planted. Here is the best place for you to be because evidently here and with these people you're connected to they are the ones that have the spiritual vitamins and nutrients that are needed to pour into your life and help you become the best you you can be which is everybody's life goal whether they recognize it or not is to not be somebody else but to be the best them that was that was in em- that was made possible for who they were, for the gifts, for the, for the anointing, for the, for the personality that they've got, for them to fit into a place to become the best human being they can be. And you cannot be the best human being you can be if you are not in the place that was designed for you to be in and for you to be connected with. Never despise prophetic utterances, but bring them all to the test. Bring them all to the test. Retain the good, shun every evil kind. This is a great verse about that last that last clause that we explained from every form of evil. Uh, looks looks like it it sort of looks like Paul's just walking through the world saying, Okay, um, go to the grocery store and get the ice cream, turn off the lights. Um, lock the door. Looks like he's given disconnected, in in most translations, it looks like he's just given disconnected instructions. So I said, can you write this down? Because I'm not going to keep, there's no pattern here. I can't keep all this in mind. He is saying, that abstain from every kind of evil. Uh, Test everything that's good. But the context is the prophecies. The prophecies is not quenching the spirit. Because whether you know it or not, every time you hear a prophecy and it doesn't come true, You're tempted to despise it. And in the despising of it, you're tempted to despise the individual. And in the despising of the individual, you're tempted to despise the spirit that was trying to speak to you. So, the cure, the remedy, is not any kind of button God can push on the inside of me to make me only stand up and tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So, help me God always. I can't do that. All I can do is tell you the colors I've seen. All I can do is tell you the shades. All I can do before I tell you this, and this is true, is tell you that I'm colorblind. So there are some grays and purples that hide underneath that horrible word, taupe, which is not a real thing. Everyone knows taupe is not real. It's an idea that catches every other color that doesn't have a real name that goes with it. So I'll stand up and say, you know, I'm going to tell you everything I know, but I don't know everything, so don't take my word as the final word. I'm going to try and tell you what God said, but God's talking to you as best he possibly can through a boy who grew up in another country 70 years ago with a whole other context about how to understand his life. So I'm telling you what I know, and he's saying, okay, I'm going to do the same work on the inside of you. I'm going to help you hear, but understand you're going to hear with your own biases as well. You're going to hear from your own brokenness. You're going to hear from your own pain. You're going to hear from the things that have not been right in your own life. So you've got to listen. And sometimes that comes out, you know, you say, that was just not what I wanted. That wasn't what I was trying to say. You know, I don't think I heard that well. The remedy is not to shut the spirit down. In your own life, I hope the Spirit of God, I trust He does, speaks into each one of your hearts and lives every day of your life. It shows Himself alive and shows Himself strong in a way that brings peace and affirmation in your own heart so that when someone stands up and says, for instance, this is the end of the world, you say, "Uh, my heart doesn't bear witness with that. When someone stands up and says, these three things are going to happen, then the end of the world is coming in another 12 months, you say, uh uh-uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't feel like that's true. I don't care if it's true or if it's not true. I don't feel like it's true. My own sense of truth, my own sense of understanding tells me not to put too much emphasis on that. I'll have to watch. I'll have to wait. The whole time, not trying to pretend like I'm more spiritual than the guy that said it. Not despising it for having him having said it, not promoting myself for the offhand chance that I might be right and he might be wrong. Never despise prophetic utterances, but bring them all to the test. Retain the good ones. Shun every evil kind. Shun the kind that don't bring you to good. And then it says, and God himself, from whom comes peace, consecrate you wholly, and may your spirit, soul, and body, unimpaired, have been kept unblameable, this is the only, God can only do this, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you in all this mess is trustworthy. I added that part. He will do it too. Brothers, pray for us too. I think he knew he was talking about things that were bigger than him, and I think he knew that the times would be a great temptation for people to look around and say, "Well, this is that," or you know, they're looking for the Lord to return. In fact, open your Bible if you would; just flip a couple pages there. too. in fact, it might be across over into Second Timothy, or excuse me, Second Thessalonians, chapter two. Yeah. he says hello and, and Thessalonians like he always does very thankful for him that's a big part of Pauline theology is being thankful for people but he says in chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians verse 1 but with regard to the coming of the, our Lord Jesus Christ brothers and our drawing together to him we beg you not to be easily rocked from your sober senses nor scared either by a, by a word, it's the word logos, he translates it, a prophetic utterance or a reasoned discourse. If I had the Amplified Bible, you'd think I was okay with this. So this, this covers all things right here. It is the it is word. Not, your translation almost certainly says, be not troubled by a word. So a word could be a sermon. A word could be something you see. A word could be something you read. A word could be a rhema word for somebody else but doesn't fit for you. I find it interesting that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he said, don't despise these things but test them. And he has to come along in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and say, it sort of leads me to believe that maybe they didn't either know how to test them or they didn't test them. That leads me to believe that somewhere they've gotten themselves in trouble because they believed something. They shouldn't believe. Do you know the tragedy of having believed something you shouldn't believe when you're a born-again spirit-filled believer? That's a tragedy. It is is profoundly unnecessary. Whether you go to the doctor, darlings, you know what the doctor's going to say before you get there. So when you go to the doctor, my personal thought would be, this is this is David. You can cast this out. There's not much reason for going to the doctor and believing you won't get a bad report, because you're going to ask the doctor what he sees. Whether you accept that bad report's entirely up to you. But I'll tell you who knows whether the bad report's true or not. I'll tell you who knows whether the bad report can be changed or not. And that's the eternal one that lives on the inside of you. And he will be happy to say, if you've got the nerve to look yourself in the eye, am I going to perish with this? Is this a, is this a disease unto death? Am I, is there a chance that I can live? You can pray through to where you know what the truth for your life is, and that's really probably where it starts, is in recognizing the voice of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you We've often, I've often presumptuously jumped to a place posing as faith because I was afraid of the answer. Well, if the foundation is afraid of the answer, then my faith is suspect. My faith is presumptuous. I can't ever have any faith that's not rooted and grounded in the Word of God that's that's established in my own heart and life and not everything i read do i believe not not everything i read do i practice most of what i read i don't even understand very much so i read it and i at different times i i find things i found a bible i picked up a bible i was reading psalm chapter 36 or 37 that day i thought that's really good that's really good i made notes all over and that's really good thank you lord thank you lord I laid it down, I worked with it all week long and went and picked up another Bible to finish the week off and had the same notes in the other Bible. I said, well, that doesn't explain why it was so easy the second time. It's because, duh, I'd already learned the lesson. Except I hadn't really learned the lesson. i just heard about the lesson. The spirit of truth on the inside of you will lead you and guide you into all truth. He will tell you all truth, even if it's truth you don't want to hear. And you should not leave church today without being reconciled to the fact that if you're not willing to hear all truth, any truth you let yourself hear, you won't really ever be able to believe. Because if you're not willing to hear the truth, you don't trust your own spiritual integrity to judge part of the truth. So you might as well you might as well go home today and say, whether it's good, bad or ugly, I want to hear the truth, and then whatever that truth is, we start from there. Yes, yes. We go from there. We move from that position right there into a place of faith and face life, yes. face life, face the future, individually and collectively, like God's called us to do. Right. Right. You're going to see a day coming where there will be churches, may not be the big ones, don't think they would be, it's too hard work, where men and women are being taught how to handle the things of God for themselves. My idea of the perfect church would be a church where everybody was using their gift. It'd be the, it'd be the context of like if the world were to end tomorrow and we all had to go into hiding That every one of you could go off and be a pastor to your neighborhood. Where you could all go off and be the apostle on your street where you all had enough confidence, and the confidence only comes through experience, and the experience only comes through the knowledge, the firsthand knowledge of a relationship with God, that you had the faith and the strength and the insight to stand up and be whatever you had to be in the place and didn't live in such a, a, an era, such a mindset where everything was divided into, into structures and hierarchies and powers. We can live like that. That part of churchianity is not bad. We can live like that as long as we're quick to throw it away when the circumstances require it. Because someday the circumstances will probably require it. If not for us, for someone we know or someone that will come from our loins will have to grow up in a world where they say, I've got to be more than whatever I was ever authorized to be in church before. I need to know things. I need to be able to do things. I need to know God in a way that that my grandparents only once expected the preacher to know. I have to have that kind of intimacy and I have to develop it and it comes from the Holy Spirit. He says don't be easily rocked from your s- sober senses nor scared either by a prophetic utterance or a reasoned discourse or by a letter as though we had made the statement that the day of the Lord is here. He, he, they, were, they were eager. These, these were students of the word. They, they studied. They were good souls. So he was preaching to them about what the end of the world would look like, what the return of the Lord was like. They were hungry for that. There's a lot in these letters about the return of the Lord. He says, let no one deceive you in any way. (coughs) Excuse me, let no one deceive you in any way. You could stop on that. It takes you out of context, but you could stop right there and say, don't let any spiritual leader deceive you in any way because that would be in anyone. Don't let anybody deceive you in any way. Whether they intended it or not, that doesn't make them a liar. Just don't let them deceive you. Not everybody that's got a word from God has got the word from God for you. Right. Right. Not everybody that's got a word from God for the church has got a word from God for your church. Not everybody that's got a word from God for a city has got a word from God for your city. That requires a different kind of thinking. Let no one deceive you in any way, for there's no possibility, and this is his proof of that. He says, unless there first come the apostasy, the falling away. Some of us look at that and think it means the rapture of the church departing. Others look at it and say that it means there's going to be a great falling away in the body of Christ. And so that the Son of Man so that the man of lawlessness be revealed the son of perdition, the adversary who exalts himself above all this God, everything that's called God. He says later on in there, he said, did not I tell you these things when I was with you? Did not I tell you these things when I was with you? 1 Thessalonians 5 says, peace among yourself as a group. Then he begins to address the things that are required for peace, the things that might disrupt peace. He comes back down to about verse 20 or so and said, let the God of peace have peace in yourself and unify you. So he's got a paragraph there. He's talking about being whole, being joined together with yourself and being joined together with the church, being connected like you're supposed to be connected. He comes along into this portion of scripture and he he begins to say, uh, because perhaps We didn't judge those things. We didn't listen with a spiritual ear. We weren't prepared to take them out and weigh them. We weren't prepared to handle them without despising the spirit that spoke it, without despising the way that it came through. Because of that, we let ourselves come into a place where uh, we've gotten off track. There's something funny about Christians. We were all slow to believe before we got saved. And I don't know if you notice it in you, but I think Gene notices it in me. I've never noticed such a thing in Gene. Because I was slow to believe, put me in a church context, and I think it's an exercise of spiritual judgment if I'm quick to believe. Jesus said to his disciples, Oh, slow of spirit, slow of heart, Slow to believe. Being slow to believe is not a good thing. But being so fast to believe without testing truth won't give you the endurance to go into the future that God's got for you all as a body. You have to be wise, willing to believe, but that doesn't mean you accept everything everyone says. That means you have to Weigh it against the book of truth that you build into your heart, and it means that you don't get to say, I really like that view. That's what I want to believe anyway, so I'm just buying into it. You have to test it. You have to prove it, and you have to say, this much of it's good, this much of it's good this way. The rest of it I have to put on the shelf and wait for another day. I say these things not because I think anybody's done anything wrong. I have no knowledge of any such thing. I I hope I didn't sound like I was on a tirade. Forgive me if I did. What I do know is that the day comes, the day comes that we're all going to have to have a bit of a different perspective on how we listen to prophecy and how we let those prophecies into our heart and our life. We're going to have to know it's okay to look at them. We're going to have to know it's okay to test them. We're going to have to know it's okay to understand that they have to stand up according to the Word of God. Father, we thank you. I thank you. If you've been able to put any truth of your truth into hearts and minds, may they, as your sheep, guard the truth that you gave them. May it enlarge their heart and their imagination. May they understand. And most of all, Father, may they grow in their own walk, in their own spirituality, in their own intimacy with the ever-present, ever-living Spirit of God. And Lord, when they come along and they believe something that's not quite right and they tell their friends, may their friends, may they allow their friends to take the book of truth and the Spirit of truth and say, but what about this? And lodge lodge a truth back in their heart to adjust them. Let us, none of us believe that once we've found a place of faith, that that faith of place has to remain unchallenged forevermore. We thank you, Father, for leading us, for developing us. In Jesus' name, amen.